to, uh, you can open up to Genesis chapter 40, but we're going to go from Genesis chapter 40 to Genesis chapter 41. We're going to be going through those scriptures. We're not going to go in, in, in order of the scriptures. We're going to go re- refer to each scripture as it pertains to the study as we go along. But tonight we're looking at Joseph the prophet. Joseph the prophet. And many times, I should say at least for me, no, I, I really didn't think of Joseph as being a prophet, even though he was. Joseph was a faithful man. He was a, uh, he was a, a man who proclaimed a faithful message, and he had a faithful ministry. And in order to be a good servant of the Lord, you have to have the right attitude, behavior, and Joseph had both. Joseph, one of the things you have to have also is a passion to serve. Joseph had a passion to serve. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Not lagging in diligence, not being lazy, <clears throat> but fervent. The word fervent means to be aglow. In a, word, in a word, on fire for the Lord. Not being lazy, on fire in serving the Lord. The purpose of the Christian life is to, to fulfill, to complete the will of God. And when we understand the great love that God has for us, you know, we desire to go his way, to do it his way, and to seek to please him. Why? Because we've learned to love him. And you have to be willing to serve the Lord at all times, or you won't do very much serving, or you won't do it well, or you won't do it faithfully. Joseph, Joseph showed his passion for serving in the very beginning early in his father's house. When Jacob called him to serve in Genesis 37, 13, Joseph's response to his father was, here I am. Here I am, dad. Even when Joseph was a slave, he continued to show his passion, uh, passionate willingness to serve, and it showed even when he was serving as a slave for Potiphar. Even after he was thrown into prison, Under false charges, he kept right on showing this important attitude for serving. And this is seen in him willingly volunteering to interpret the dreams and predict the future of the baker in spite of the fact that, number one, his own dreams had seen little fulfillment. His previous service had resulted in in unjust treatment. And his present place of servitude, it was lowly. I mean, he was a slave. Now, these are the kinds of trials that stop a lot of people from serving God. And the reason is they don't have the compassion to serve. Some quit serving because they don't see the results that they expected to see in their service. You know, we have, we have a lot of dreams and expectations in serving God. And you know what? That's fine. But many times the reality aren't what we expect. And because we don't you know, experience what we expect or would hope to expect, we kind of give up. We lose our passion. We quit serving because, again, we don't see the results that we expected to see. Now, what they dreamed, all right, would happen, uh, saw little fulfillment. They didn't see, again, their dreams of, of serving and the things that they wanted to see didn't come to pass. There wasn't much fruit in their serving. So what did they do? They resigned. They quit. They give up, and they don't want to serve the Lord anymore. Others refused to serve because they were offended. They were hurt, or they were mistreated in previous service. These are the things to expect in serving the Lord. Because, again, we're dealing with people. And that's sometimes the hardest things to deal with is people in many ways. And when they don't, you know, when their dreams aren't fulfilled or they don't experience what they were hoping to experience, they can't handle this because they enjoy the praise of men. They lost their passion to serve because they didn't get the respect or due appreciation they thought they deserved. And, and, you know, Paul said in Romans 12, 3, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. You know, he says, don't think more highly than you, of yourself than you are. 
then you should. And then some won't serve because their place of service isn't in the spotlight. It's not in front of people, so their, their pride is hurt. Unlike Joseph, when you put these fried, prideful people in a lowly position, their passion for service, it all of a sudden disappears. You know, I've heard people say, oh, well, you know what? I, I went to Bible school, and, and I've got a degree, and, and you know what? And I, and, and I should be doing something more, you know, more uh, uh, respected or, or, or higher than this. Again, then that means they don't understand what the word servant means. A servant is one who serves where the need is. Not necessarily where I want to be. Lord, you need me to clean the bathrooms? That's where I should go. Lord, you you want me to teach? That's what I will do. Lord, do you want me to pick up cigarette butts in the parking lot? We shouldn't have any cigarette butts. But anyway, Pastor Chuck. Pastor Chuck, he said, well, because again, you know, you had... You know, people that weren't saved, you know, they'd flick them on the grounds. Pastor Chuck, you'd see him going out in the parking lot and he'd pick up cigarette butts. If the plumbing needed fixed he, and he knew how to, he'd be, he, you'd see him doing that. You see, service is wherever the need is. It's not where I want to be. And it's, Lord, whatever you need me to do, I'm available. That's service. And again, a lot of people who don't serve many times complain they don't have the opportunity to serve. Hey, there's a lot of opportunity to serve. It's just they don't want to serve where the, where the service is needed. You know, or they say they don't have the ability to serve. But again, these are many times just excuses because they don't have the passion or they don't, it's not what they want to do. It's not because they don't have the opportunity or ability. It's because they lack the willingness to serve. And that's why they don't serve. But faithful servants like Joseph will pattern their passion to perform uh, for the Lord after the example of Joseph. Joseph was willing to serve the Lord at all times, even if his situation was not a good one, if it was a humbling one. So you need patience, I'm sorry, passion to serve the Lord faithfully. You also need patience, patience, big time. Patience is also necessary for serving the Lord. Before Joseph performed his prophetic ministry in the palace, he had to go through a waiting period. Like many people, like many of God's servants had to wait. Moses had to wait. David had to wait. Paul had to wait. Which required a lot of service to stay faithful and true to God. When Joseph interpreted the butler's dream and predicted that he would be given his job back, as we'll see later as we go on, he asked the butler to remember him. And he asked the butler, hey, you know, when you get out of prison and you go see the, butler, the, the pharaoh, hey, put in a good word for me so I'll be released from prison. Look at Genesis chapter 40, verses uh, 14 and 15. Notice what it says. But remember me, this is Joseph talking to the butler, but remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also I have done nothing here that they should put me in the dungeon. Well, you know, and and again, we'll we'll talk about this more as we go on. But the butler forgot. Look at verse 23 of, of chapter 40. Verse 23, it says, Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So Joseph stayed in prison for two more years in the miserable, discouraging prison. Two full years. Now jump to chapter 41, look at verse 1. It came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Two full years. Now, this doesn't mean that that those those two years were filled with all kinds of things for him to do to keep him busy. To help pass time quickly. It rather means which took their time, their full time passing, two slowly passing years. So you see, Joseph needed a lot of patience to make it through those two years of waiting. If he was going to be uh, uh, in good enough spiritual condition in order to do an excellent job in his prophetic duty in the palace after he got out of prison. And patience was truly his attitude for those two years. His devotion to the Lord did not decline during those two years in prison, waiting. 
Because when his duty, when he was finally called to his duty, he performed it with excellence. He came out of prison with praise on his lips. Look at uh, chapter 41, verse 16. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So again, he gets out of prison and, 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 and you know, he, gives, he, he gives praise to God. He gives, a, you know, after he asked for the, the good word from, um, from prison. So in these two full years, he was patient. Uh, he didn't uh, decline in his spirituality. And when he came out of prison, this, this verse here says that uh, he had praise on his lips for God. And he had wisdom on his lips for man. Look at chapter 41, verses 25 and 26. And it reads, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about, uh, what he's about to, to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years, and dreams, uh, uh, and dreams, the dreams are one. So, again, he, th- th- that would have never happened if he hadn't had patience during those two years waiting in prison. For Pharaoh to tell him his dreams. James Stalker said this, Waiting is a common instrument of providential discipline for those to whom exceptional work has been appointed. That was definitely true about Joseph. But in the day that we live in, man, we, we live in a push-button society. We are, are not used to waiting. We, are, we live in a quick and hurry push-button mentality. We don't know about this kind of discipline or school of patience. And we don't look at it as useful today. People say, well, if you have to wait, then, you know, hey, don't bother. And yet God's word tells us that many of the great servants of God, they often had to wait. They had to go through a waiting period and sometimes for many years before being actually uh, being able to perform their duty. Abraham and Sarah are one example. They had to wait until they were both too old to have children before God blessed them with the promise of Isaac. Moses waited 80 years. Think of that. Moses waited 80 years before he became Israel's great deliverer. Can you imagine God says, you're going to be the deliverer of Israel? Great. 80 years later, he becomes the deliverer. Moses lived for 120 years. Now, you could divide his life into three parts of 40 years each. Moses spent his first 40 years in Pharaoh's palace, going to the universities of Egypt, learning to be somebody. Moses spent his second 40 years in the Midian desert, learning to be a nobody. And then Moses spent his last 40 years in the wilderness as the leader of Israel, learning that God was everybody. Sometimes God has to undo the things that we've learned in the world before we can learn the things that we need to do. Again, Moses is a great example. 40 years, his first 40 years of life, he spent in Egypt, in, in, in the palace, going to the universal. He's learning all the worldly things that the world had to teach him. And then God calls him to go out and to be to deliver Israel. Then he has to take him now to the 40 years in the desert to say, Moses, you learned all that stuff in the universities, all that world. You know what? It's not going to do you any good in the kingdom of God. In other words, in your ministry. I need to you know, get you there to have time with me and that I can teach you what you need to do. And then he learned that God was everybody and he was nobody. And how God would use a nobody. John the Baptist, he had to wait 30 years before he started his ministry. Elijah had to wait three years before his great service on Mount Carmel when he dealt with the, 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 of all the, the prophets of Baal. The Apostle Paul also had to wait, uh, uh, had, had several waiting periods in his ministry. Lack of patience and lack of passion to serve is a big reason why some Christians never serve the Lord as they should. They may want to serve the Lord. But they never get to these places of service because they're sadly short in patience. And many times the lack of patience is in the area of training for service. Where patience is so very important as we've learned from Joseph's situation. And, and, you know, when I got saved and, you know, it took me about 16 years before I really got serious with God. And I made a promise, God, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say no anymore. And at that point, that was the turning point where God led me into the ministry. 
And then when I felt called to the ministry, and Pastor Rawl had moved from West Covina to Diamond Bar. You know, they hadn't made the move yet, but they had gone there to pray and see what God wanted to do. And, and you know, they were having communion one night there. And Paul, uh, Rawl, Pastor Rawl invited, you know, uh, a lot of the folks to go there and pray that night and to find out if, if God wanted you to be a part of that ministry. So Kathy and I went down there that night and we prayed and, and we just, you know, sought the Lord. And, and against my will, uh, I felt God wanted me to leave my beautiful log home up in the mountains and move back to uh, the area out here and to, to be in the ministry at Golden Springs. And on the way home, I am just going, no, no. You know, Kathy, had, God had already spoken to Kathy's heart. Kathy was ready to go. And I'm going, no, Lord, I got this nice place up here, man. It's just, it's, it's paradise here on earth. And, and, and anyway, by the time I got home, I told Kathy, you know what? I, I feel the call to go. So, Pastor Rawl had said that night, if you feel the call to go, you know, to come and be a part of the ministry here, he says, he says, you tell me or Pastor Dale. So I tell Pastor Dale, and he says, that's great, Joe, we'll just pray. And I think, okay, I said, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be over there at Golden Springs. Three years later, I'm going, man, what are they waiting for? You know, I, I told him I feel called to the ministry, I want to be a part of the ministry. But again, that waiting is critical. Because I, cause there was, I thought, you know what, forget it. <laughs> you know, if I have to wait any longer. And that's exactly what God is telling us here. It's the passion and it's the patience. You know, and, and you see many of the, the people that God used in the scriptures, you know, they had to wait. You know, and, 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 and what happens again, uh, it's, it's very important that, that we learn this from, from Joseph's situations. It's very important. You know, we see a lot of people that go to college, they go to Bible school and seminary, they get their degree or certificate. They're all excited about going into the ministry. God calls them into the ministry, and then they meet a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And they won't wait to finish their training before they get married. And then they drop out of school, they start a family, and they never get back on track. Patience and passion are both necessary before serving. Passion seems to come easily. Get all excited. Yeah, I want to do this. But the patience, (laughs) that's the hard part. Patience is the hard part. We need patience for serving in humble places. I'm sorry, we need the passion for for serving in humble, humble places. And we need the patience for serving in the greater places. Joseph's example here teaches us to keep our spiritual attitude right. And then our opportunities to serve will be on their way. Joseph had two dreams while he was in prison and two dreams when he was in the palace that allowed him to serve the Lord in the office of prophet, of a prophet prophesying of the future. And again, that's one thing that we never know about when it comes to serving the Lord. And that is when the opportunity will come like it came with Joseph by way of those dreams. And many times those things, those opportunities come, they come unexpectedly and they come in strange ways. So we should always be ready for duty when it calls. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 to preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Paul was exhorting Timothy to be diligent. Be always ready, Timothy, for whatever opportunity you have. Be alert to use every opportunity to preach the word. When it's convenient, when it's not. When it's favorable favorable, and when it's not. And it's easy to make excuses when we should be making opportunities. Paul himself, was all, he always found an opportunity to share the word of God. In prison, out of prison, wherever. Whether it was in the temple courts, whether it was on a boat in the middle of, of a stormy sea. And like I said, even in prison. The king of Egypt's butler and baker, they were both in prison with Joseph. They both had fascinating dreams on the same night. And it was the butler who first told Joseph about his dream. And in the butler's dream, he saw a grapevine with three branches that budded and and they produced a cluster of grapes. And then in the dream, the butler pressed the grapes to make juice in Pharaoh's cup and then he gave it to Pharaoh. Look at chapter 40, now uh, Genesis 40 and verses 9 through 11. 
It says, Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth grapes. So, and then it says in verse 11, Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. So, Again, we see here the, the, the first dream that was, that was given to Joseph here. Joseph told the butler now what his dream meant. And it, and it was that the butler would be restored to his duty as Pharaoh's butler in three days. Look at chapter 40, verses uh, now 12 through 13. Then it goes on to say, And Joseph said to him, that is the butler, This is the interpretation of your dream. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place and will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. So this was good news for the butler. Now on the other hand, it wasn't such good news for the baker. Look at verses 16 through 17. Now he says, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. Now, in, in his dream, in the butler's dream, he had three baskets on his head. He said on the top of the basket, it was full of food for Pharaoh, but birds came along and ate the food out of the basket. Joseph told the baker, you know what? This dream meant that you are going to be hung by Pharaoh. The birds would eat his flesh. Look at chapter 40, verses 18 and 19. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days, and within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. So not such good news for the butler. Unlike the butler's dream, the baker's dream was one of doom and, and, and not good news. And three days later, the Pharaoh held a feast to celebrate his birthday. And during that, that celebration, during that party, he restored the butler to his job and he hanged the baker just as Joseph had predicted. Look at chapter 40, verses 20 through 22. It came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday... Then he made a feast for all of his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief baker and of the chief baker uh, among his, uh, the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So Joseph showed that he was a true prophet. Because he, what he prophesied, it came to pass. It happened. Jeremiah 28, verse 9 says this. When the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, notice, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of God, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you shall not be afraid of him. Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 through 22. You see, it's that simple. He says, if it's truly a prophet of God, whatever he says, it's going to come to pass. If somebody claims to be a prophet and it doesn't come to pass, God says, don't, be, don't worry about him. He's a false prophet. The ultimate test is that God's true prophets are always 100% accurate. And there are some, some of those, these religions that, are, that come to your door and they'll tell you, oh yeah, we have prophets in our church. And I, I remember when they came to, to my door one time. And we were talking, discussing the word of God. And they told me, oh, yeah, we have prophets. I go, have they ever been wrong? Sometimes. I said, they're not prophets of God. They're, if they're, I mean, how can a prophet of God say they're, they're speaking on behalf of Be wrong. That means God was wrong. God is never wrong. 
The ultimate test is that God's true prophets are always 100% accurate. Verse 22. Modern day so-called prophets, they they brag about being 75% accurate. Maybe 80%. But that just proves they're false prophets. A prophet sent by God is never wrong. What he predicts will come to pass. Believers today have to exercise spiritual discernment because as John says in 1 John 4, 1 through 6, many false prophets are gone out into the world. And Jesus said, you know, when you hear prophets or a false prophet saying, you know, I'm over here, I'm over there. He says, don't believe them. Don't believe them. John makes it clear that the first test of a true minister of the word of God is the confession that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and is truly the son of God. So when you listen to a teacher who is truly God's servant, the Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart will respond to the word being taught. You will have, you will bear, your spirit will bear witness with the word of God. You'll know, you'll sense through the spirit of God that that's right. The message will be true to the scriptures and it will exalt Jesus Christ. We learn an important lesson from Joseph's prison prophecy. He was faithful to tell the truth even though it wasn't pleasant. You know, how would you like to tell the, 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 the one that had his head, going to have his head cut off? Well, you know, your dream means that, you know, you're, you're done. You're, you're losing your head. That's hard to do to tell people, you know, the truth. But Joseph was faithful to do that. It wasn't pleasant. Joseph told the truth at all times, whether it was good news or bad news for the listener. So two years after the butler and baker dreamed, Pharaoh himself has true two dreams in the same night. And his two dreams were important to Joseph's life. Pharaoh's dreams were very important because they resulted in Joseph being released from prison and being promoted to a high position in the Egyptian government. It also resulted in sparing the land of Egypt and the surrounding lands from a deadly famine. Pharaoh's first dream was about seven healthy cows and seven lean cows. And in the dream, Pharaoh was standing by the river, the Nile River. And Pharaoh saw these cows come out of the river and stand by one another. And in his dream, it says the lean cows ate up the healthy cows. But in spite of eating up the good cows, the lean cows still looked lean and sickly. Now look at chapter 41, verses 1 through 4. It says, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river, and suddenly there came out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly cows, or the ugly and gaunt cows, ate up the seven fine-looking uh, fine and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. Look at verses 17 through 21 of chapter 41. Beginning in verse uh, verse 17, it says that, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river, that is the Nile River. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows come up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and the ugly cows ate up the first seven, uh, the fat cows. And when they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them up, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. So Pharaoh's second dream gave the same picture as the dream about the cows and that the lean ones ate up the healthy ones. The dreams had a very troubling effect on Pharaoh. It says after, he'd, after the first dream in chapter 41, verse 4, it says he woke up. But then he went right back to sleep again. And in the second dream in chapter 41, verse 5, which is unfortunately often the initial reaction to divine warnings. You know, so a lot of times the first time God warns you, we kind of like we perk up. But if we don't do anything about the warnings of God, we, get, we fall back into that, that dullness, that spiritual sleep, which unfortunately happens again as, a, as a, again, in God's warnings. When the warning comes, man's conscience kind of wakes up. But before long, you know, the pursuits of the world, the pleasures of the world, kind of drown out, drown out the message and dulls the conscience. 
which his second dream, uh, again, that he had, he woke up and he stayed awake because chapter 41, verse 8, notice it says that, that his spirit was troubled. Verse 8 says his spirit was troubled. It didn't go away. Because the pleasures of sin don't last. And one day that false peace in your heart becomes troubled. But it can move you to look for real help. Because Pharaoh was troubled, he looked for help. And he found help in Joseph because the butler who had forgotten Joseph in chapter 40, verse 23, suddenly remembered Joseph and told Pharaoh all about his dream. Notice in chapter 41, verses 9 through 13. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. We each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. So, uh, again, um, he looked for help through Joseph. Look at verse 23. He says in verse 23, Then behold, seven heads withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. So, because Pharaoh was troubled, he looked for help. He found it in Joseph because the butler had forgotten Joseph. And then suddenly he remembered Joseph and and told him uh, in verses 9 through 13. uh, Let me read verses 9 through 13. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. We each had a dream in one night, he and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us to each man he interpreted according to his own dream, and it came to pass just as he interpreted for us, so it happened, and he restored me to my office, and he hanged him. So Pharaoh finally, uh, he, he wisely speaks to Joseph because of what he had been told. And how Joseph had, had you know, uh, interpreted his dream. So he, wake, he, 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 gets, he wisely speaks to Joseph, which brought, brought peace to his heart. Joseph answered Pharaoh, and he said, notice in verse 40, uh, chapter 41, verse 16. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me, but God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Jesus Christ, who is a type of Joseph can also bring calmness to a troubled heart. But others who know him, Jesus, must tell others about him. Or those troubled hearts of other people, they'll perish. It's a good, this is a good reminder of the importance and the urgency of telling other people the good news about Jesus to those who don't know him. The dreams were hard to understand. Look at chapter 41, again, uh, verse 8. Now it came to pass in the morning that, notice, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told him his dreams, notice, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Nobody could tell Pharaoh what his dream meant. The dreams were hard to understand. All the wise men in Pharaoh's court, they couldn't help explain the dreams. Because it takes more than the wisdom of the world to understand the things of God. It takes divine revelation. And the key to understanding the revelation, God, of God, to, uh, the revelation of God is to honor the Son, Jesus Christ. And this truth is illustrated in the case of Pharaoh's dream. Because the key to understanding them was to honor Joseph, again, which is a type of Christ. You see, a person can go to school, they can get their education, they can get their degree, but they can still walk in darkness when it comes to the divine relation of Scripture. The psalmist was superior to his enemies, he was superior to his teachers, and he was superior to his elders, those who were older in wisdom. And he was more intelligent in judgment because he meditated on God's Word. And he kept his commandments, Psalm 119.99. And without Jesus, man will stumble around in ignorance because he, Jesus, is our wisdom. And Joseph quickly interpreted the dreams. Look at Genesis 41, verses 25 through 31. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. 
God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. So Joseph's enlightenment, Joseph's interpretation of the dream to Pharaoh shows us some important truth about salvation. First of all, this revelation that, that, that Joseph gave to uh, Pharaoh, it was gracious. And salvation is gracious. Pharaoh's behavior and his palace and his country wasn't holy. But God warned Pharaoh anyway about the future. And he warned Pharaoh how to prepare for it. Again, the grace of God. In the same way, sinful man doesn't deserve salvation. But because of God's grace and his mercy, we can be saved. Secondly, the revelation of Joseph to Pharaoh was important. You see, for for Pharaoh, it was a matter of life and death. Nothing else in his kingdom demanded so much priority. It's the same with salvation. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Nothing is more important for man than being saved. The third thing is the revelation was certain. Again, the, the, the revelation was certain. In Genesis 41, 32, I'm going to leave it, le- read it from the New Living Translation. It says, as for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God. The message of salvation is also true. It's decreed by God. It's a sure thing. And time will prove every word of it. Our salvation isn't built on a flimsy foundation. It's not built on fanciful thinking. It's built on solid facts. Jesus was born. He was crucified. He rose again. He was seen by hundreds before ascending into heaven. Time and study will quickly and completely confirm God's word. Fourth, the revelation was comforting. It was comforting. Joseph said to Pharaoh, notice in 41.16, He said, so Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give peace, uh, will give Pharaoh, uh, I'm sorry, will give uh, Pharaoh an answer of peace. And so, again, uh, after his dreams were explained and he understood them, Pharaoh wasn't troubled anymore. God gave him peace. Seven years later, when his people came to him, that is to Pharaoh, when when they came to Pharaoh, During that famine, they came starving and they came crying in panic for bread. He didn't freak out. He didn't freak out. Why? Because God had told him what was going to happen. He had prepared him for this time. He calmly sent them to Joseph. Look at chapter 41, verse 55. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and whatever he says to you, do so again after his dreams were explained and he understood them he wasn't bothered he wasn't troubled he didn't freak out he calmly sent them to joseph this is how the gospel works the gospel brings peace to those with troubled hearts like nothing else can the fifth thing that we see is the revelation was timely the, the, the interpretation of the dream, what, what Joseph told Pharaoh, it was timely. Again, in, in Genesis 41, 32, it says, God will shortly bring it to pass. Shortly bring it to pass. God told Pharaoh about the coming famine in time for him to adequately prepare for it. God always warns and provides us or provides for man's deliverance with enough time to do something about it. Whether it's Egypt's deliverance from famine or the deliverance of men's souls from judgment. 
Paul said in Romans 5, 6, For when we were still without strength, notice, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. If your sinful life condemns you, and you perish, it's your own fault, never God's. Because he gives us ample time to prepare for death. Sixth, the revelation that, that Joseph had and gave to Pharaoh, it was urgent. Genesis, again, 41, 32, you see the word shortly. This not only tells us that God is on time, but he urges man to be on time as well. And it reminds us of 2 Corinthians 6, 2, which is now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you wait and you procrastinate, you may perish. See, getting saved isn't something you can put off. A lot of people say, well, you know, when you witness, well, you know, I still have a lot of time to make that decision. I got a lot of time before I decide to be saved. You know, I have the rest of my life to do that. You you aren't guaranteed anything. You're not guaranteed the next day. It's like the thief on the cross. It's true. You could say, well, hey, he had a deathbed conversion in a sense. Yeah. He was saved at the last minute. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That was that was true for him. But it's not true. For, it may not be true for anybody else. It's true. He did get saved right at death's door. But notice there was only one. As someone has said, one thief was saved at death's door. So none would dismay, but only one. So none would delay. And after predicting the butler's restoration, Joseph gave him a responsibility. He gave him a commission. Notice in Genesis 40 now, going back to chapter 40, verse 14. Notice what he said. But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. This is a commission that Joseph gave him. He gave to the butler. And it's very much like the commission that, that, that is given to every Christian to proclaim Christ. So there's a commission in this, in this uh, 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 verse here. There's also meditation. Our service starts with, notice what he said to jo- Joseph said to him, remember me. The character of our service is determined by the thoughts of our mind. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, Solomon said, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, what occupies our thoughts will occupy our talk. The butler must think about Joseph or he won't talk about him. And for two years, the butler failed big time to fulfill the commission that Joseph said, Hey, remember me when you get out. Chapter 40, verse 23 says, The chief butler did not remember Joseph but forgot him. The butler, forgetting to tell Pharaoh about Joseph, emphasized his failure to meditate upon Joseph, to think about Joseph. And that, that should, we, we need a, a faithful thought life if we want a faithful testimony. If our mind is not on Jesus, the ministry won't get done. What's in the mind shows up in what we do. The depraved, the depraved behavior of society today shows what's defiled and unholy thoughts are occupying their minds. And the poor service by Christians shows that they need a lot of improvement in their, in their thinking, in their meditation habits. And we have to be careful about what we read, what we hear, and what we see because they all generate thoughts. Then there was an obligation. There was a part of the commission That Joseph gave to the butler. Joseph had been really kind and compassionate to the butler. He had asked the butler why he was so sad when he saw him in prison. And then when the butler told Joseph about the dream he had, Joseph did him a favor by interpreting it for him. This really helped lift the butler's spirits. And now he asked the butler for a favor of him. And again, he said in Genesis 40, 14, please show kindness to me, making mention to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. And it's the same with our service to Jesus. Jesus has done so much for us in saving us that it is simply our duty, our reasonable service to serve him and to do what he asks us to do. 
The importance of the obligation is emphasized by the words. Now, in the King James Version, uh, Joseph said to the butler, I pray thee. And when, in using those words, I pray thee, this isn't some lightweight responsibility. It calls for our greatest attention. Our service for Jesus has to have top priority in our life. And then also in this commission, there was proclamation. He said in Genesis 40, 14, make mention of me to Pharaoh. So the commission involves proclaiming an important message. First of all, the butler was to speak to Joseph. He said, make mention of me. In the same way that the saints are to speak about Jesus, our theme is a person. Our main theme is a person, not a program, not a system, not an organization. It's Jesus. If Jesus is not the main theme of our preaching and teaching, we've lost the value of our message. Our message then is just empty words. Four times the word me, speaking of Joseph, is mentioned in the commission that shows the emphasis is to be on Joseph in the butler's message. And it's the same about Jesus Christ for the believer. Paul said to the Corinthians, we preach Christ. When Philip went to Samaria, not long after Pentecost, the whole meetings, the Bible says he preached Jesus to them. You can tell the trustworthiness of the message and the value of the message by where Jesus fits or is placed in that message. We are to speak about the person, the performance, the teachings of Christ. But a lot of people rather talk about secondary issues or secondary things. Second, the butler was to speak where he lived and where he worked. Again, Joseph told the butler to make mention of me to Pharaoh. In Genesis 49, 14. Make mention of me to Pharaoh. The butler served Pharaoh and would be in his company. So that was where he was to talk to him about Joseph. It makes sense. Believers need to learn that this truth of speaking about Jesus is where we live and where we work. And remember many times, you know, sometimes the disciples or Jesus said, now, you know, they wanted to follow Jesus. They wanted to follow the disciples. He said, no, you go home. You go home. You be a witness at home first. Be a witness to those who are closest to you before you take it out. So again, believers need to learn this truth about speaking about Jesus where we live and where we work. Those closest to us should hear most about Jesus. Then there's exaltation in his, in his commission. The purpose of the commission given the butler was to get me out of this house, Genesis 40, 14. It would, it would get him out of the dungeon. It would, it would, it would uh, out of a place of dishonor, and it would exalt Joseph's character. And again, that's what happens when we talk about Jesus. It exalts him. It promotes him. Not that he means, needs promoting from us, but, but it, it, it's who we talk about. It's who we serve. It's who we love. Nothing would help Egypt more than exalting Joseph. And when we exalt Jesus Christ, we are doing more for society's problems than any government programs could ever do. The world needs to hear about Jesus. And then after Jesus predict, I'm sorry, Joseph predicted Pharaoh's and Butler's dreams, he told Pharaoh, what he needed to do in relation to his dream. And Joseph instructed Pharaoh how to survive the dangers, the famine that was coming. Joseph's wise plan included choosing an officer. He told Pharaoh in Genesis 41, 33, notice he says, select a discerning and wise man. Genesis 41, 33. He said, select a discerning and a wise man to oversee the preparation of those seven years of famine that's coming. And notice how Joseph didn't tell Pharaoh to put together a committee. Hey, we need to get a bunch of guys together and talk this over and think about how, what we're going to do, which is typically what a lot of organizations do. Let's form a committee. God starts with a man. God's way of doing things is summed up in Ezekiel twenty-two thirty when he said, I sought for a man. He said, I'm looking for a man. As someone has said, a committee is a group of people who individually can do nothing and who collectively decide that nothing can be done. <laughs> Another person said, a committee is a group of incom incompetence appointed by the indifferent to do the unnecessary. 
Joseph's wise planning included a stewardship of opportunities. In Genesis 41, 35, notice what it says. Genesis 41, verse 35. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. He said, let them gather all the food of those good years. Those first seven years that were good, hey, prepare food for those seven years that were going to be lean and be a tough time. So Joseph exhorted Pharaoh to use his opportunities well. If Pharaoh had failed to take, you know, to use the opportunities of those seven good years, man, he would have suffered a lot of shame and a terrible loss in those seven bad years. When it comes to salvation and service, we need the exhortation to be good stewards of the opportunities that we are given. Let me close with this last few words. Joseph was a great prophet. He was faithful in his attitude and he was passionate in his attitude to serve. He was patient in his attitude to serve. Faithful in to tell, he was faithful to tell about the terrible predictions in their entirety. He told, he told Pharaoh the, the, whole, the whole story. He told him everything that was going to happen. And he would tell everything, whether man likes it or not. And Joseph was faithful in carrying out the calls to the duty that he was given. The duties that came with, his, with, with the prediction. And may we also, as servants of the Lord, be patient, have compassion, and be faithful like Joseph in performing our calling. Father, we thank you so much, again, for the example that Joseph has given. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And and again, may we learn, Father, from these examples, God. They're not just to be great stories that we hear and and, and to say, oh, that that was great and that was wonderful. Uh, they're for our teaching, our learning, our growing, our maturity, that we would apply them to our own personal lives. Again, in developing and helping to edify those in the body and to exalt the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you. And may, again, we just continue to grow in the grace and the mercies of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.